as we come into this sacred space and time, the words for the call to worship this morning are written by Reverend Christian Schmidt, who is a senior co-minister with his wife of the Unitarian Universalist Church of Berkeley, California. And he tells us, let us wake up, not just from the Sunday morning exhaustion, from the wish of a few more drowsy minutes in bed. Let us wake up to this world we live in, to its beauty and wonder, and also to its tragedy and pain. We must wake up to this reality that not all in our world have what we do, however much or little that is. We must wake up to the idea that our wholeness, our lives, are only as complete as the lives of those around us, of those we are inextricably tied to in a great web of mutuality of which we are but a part. We must stay woke in the words of our friends and colleagues involved in Black Lives Matter, working every day for racial justice in our country. Let us wake up, let us stay awake, let us stay woke. And now in this time and place, let us worship together. We consecrate this time that we are together by lighting a chalice. The chalice lighting words that I've chosen for today are adapted from the UUA Leadership Council's vision for Unitarian Universalism in a multicultural world. With humility and courage born of our history, we are called as Unitarian Universalists to build the beloved community where all souls are welcome as blessings and the human family lives whole and reconciled. With this vision in our hearts and minds, we light our chalice. Please join me in reciting the words found in your order of service and posted here in the front, which are the covenant which binds us together. Love is the spirit of this fellowship. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. And now that we have spoken, now let us sing. Now let us sing, sing to the power of the 
Someday you too will be a grown-up with telling stories. Our story today is called How Much Does a Snowflake Weigh? And I was hoping we would have a few more snowflakes as a backdrop, but last week our story was about a drop of water named Higgins, and today that drop of water is a snowflake. So this story is by that wonderful author, Unknown, and the scene is that it is deep winter and the snow is falling steadily outside, so you have to imagine that. The tiny mouse creeps out of his hole, looks around, and hears the voice of a small bird who is shivering on a bare branch. Hello, little mouse. Can't you sleep? Hello, Jenny Wren. I just came up for a bit of air before I go back to sleep for the rest of the winter. And they sat together for a while, enjoying each other's company and watching the snow fall. How much do you think a snowflake weighs? A snowflake weighs almost nothing. A snowflake is so insignificant, it carries almost no weight at all. How could you possibly weigh a snowflake? Well, I disagree. In fact, I can tell you that last winter around this time, I woke up from my winter dreaming and came out here for a breath of fresh air. Because I had no companions and nothing better to do, I sat here counting the snowflakes as they fell. I watched them settling on the branches and covering the pine needles with a blanket of white. I got as far as 2,492,359. And then, when the very next snowflake fell and settled on the branch, the branch dropped right down to the ground and all the snow slid off it. So you see, just that one snowflake weighed enough to make the branch sink down and all the snow slide off. So it must weigh something. It does make a difference. The wren, who was only a tiny little bird herself and didn't think she had much influence on the great big world around her, pondered for a long time and she thought to herself, it really is true that just one little voice can make a difference. 
And with that in mind, thank you to our storytellers. <laughs> and I hope that each snowflake and snowfall will remind you of this story. Let us sing our children out to their classes along with any adults and parents who would like to accompany them. Our musicians will lead us in our new song. This is a, um, a song by Melanie Damore, the uh, singer, songwriter, and activist. Uh, we invite you to clap along, uh, move along, um, join in. It's very easy to learn. We're gonna hold everybody. We're gonna hold everybody up. We're gonna hold everybody. We're gonna hold everybody up. We're gonna hold everybody. We're gonna hold everybody up. We're gonna hold everybody. We're gonna hold everybody up. Hold everybody up. Up, up. Hold everybody up. Up, up. Hold everybody up. Up, up. Hold everybody up. Just because you look like you and I look like me It doesn't mean we can't be friends You're not my enemy We're gonna hold everybody We're gonna hold everybody up We're gonna hold everybody We're gonna hold everybody up We're gonna hold everybody we're gonna hold everybody up. We're gonna hold everybody. We're gonna hold everybody up. Hold everybody up. Up, up. Hold everybody up. Up, up. Hold everybody up. Up, up. Hold everybody up. People all around the world sometimes feel so sad. But when others show they care, they don't feel so bad. We're gonna hold everybody. We're gonna hold everybody up. We're gonna hold everybody. We're gonna hold everybody up. We're gonna hold everybody. We're gonna hold everybody up. We're gonna hold everybody. We're gonna hold everybody up, hold everybody up, 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 hold everybody up, 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 hold everybody up, 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 hold everybody up.
you. If you ever have a chance to do a workshop with this woman, you must. Oh. Melanie, yes, she's fabulous. Our responsive reading today is by another fabulous African-American female activist. Please turn to number 587, A Litany for Survival. The author was a New York City-born poet and essayist who gave voice to many issues surrounding race, gender, and sexuality. I will ask the people on the piano side of the room to read the, the uh, print in regular typeface and the people on the patio driveway side to respond with the italics. For, For those, those of us who live at the shoreline, standing upon the constant edges of decision, crucial and alone. For those of us who cannot indulge in passing dreams of joy. For those of us who were imprinted with fear like a faint line in the center of our foreheads, learning to be afraid with our mother's milk. We Unitarian Universalists are a people that declare ourselves to be non-credal, a faith not bound by dogma, but bound by covenant. The closest thing that we have to a statement of faith are the seven principles which we affirm and promote. These you might think of as core values that we try to live by individually and collectively. Here is the way they currently appear in our UUA bylaws and in our hymnals and other publications. We, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to affirm and promote, first, the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Second, justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. Third, acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth in our congregations. Fourth, a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Fifth, the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and in society at large. Sixth, the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. And seventh, respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. Our UU principles have been rewritten occasionally. They were designed, after all, to be dynamic and not a fixed creed. 
One of the tenets of Unitarian Universalism is that we believe revelation is not sealed, that truth is always being revealed and shared individually and collectively, so that when we arrive at new understandings, our structure allows us to make changes, changes to the bylaws, the words of hymns, our own personal theology. In fact, it was a growing awareness of environmental issues and the interconnectedness and fragility of life that led to the proposal and adoption of our seventh principle. It's the most recent. Given these principles, and especially our emphases on the first, on inherent worth and dignity of all people, and in the seventh, on interdependence, interdependence, you would be forgiven if you thought that that was all we needed to build healthy communities and thriving congregations. If that's all we needed to build the beloved community that Martin Luther King Jr. envisioned. He envisioned a beloved community that happens when people of diverse racial, ethnic, educational, class, gender, sexual orientation, backgrounds, and identities come together in an interdependent relationship characterized by love and mutual respect and care, characterized by seeking to realize justice within the community and in the broader world. Paula Cole Jones, our UUA primary contact, who was here in the pulpit last week, noticed and developed the idea of the existence of two different paradigms operating in UU circles, the UU seven principles and beloved community, or what she calls deep multiculturalism. After working with congregations on anti-racist organizing issues for over 15 years, she realized that a person can believe they are being a good UU and following the seven principles without ever thinking about or dealing with racism and other oppressions at the systemic level. That resonates with me. In fact, I used to be that good UU person myself. Paula realized that an eighth principle was needed to correct this. And so she talked with one of her colleagues, Bruce Pollock Johnson, who is from the UU Church of the Restoration in Philadelphia. And together, they discussed the components that should be in this. He, he wrote an initial draft in 2013, and they worked with other anti-racist activists to refine the concept and the language. And this is what they came up with. This is the language of the proposed eighth principle. The same preamble, we the member congregations of Unitarian Universalist Association covenant to affirm and promote eight, journeying toward spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. That's a long sentence with a lot of weight and meaning, an important one. Bruce's congregation in Philadelphia incorporated it into their own covenant 
at that time in 2013 or so. And then in May of 2017, they formally adopted it at the bylaws level and recommended that the UUA adopt it. Several congregations have since adopted it on their own as part of their continuing commitment to address racism. Now, a change to our principles involves a bylaw change at the national denominational level. And this is a lengthy process. It involves uh, appointing a commission which studies the matter and makes recommendations which come to a vote at General Assembly. Welcome. All of this is in process still as we speak. And keeping up with it on a denominational level means that you have an opportunity to weigh in with comments or endorsements or suggestions. So let's take a little closer look at this principle. What does it have to offer to us? Interestingly enough, it is the only one that includes a vision of a beloved community and the only one with the word love in it anywhere which is really fascinating because, you know, a lot of people think of us as the love people, standing on the side of love, side with love, the yellow shirts and public witness. Perhaps maybe we really could sink into our hearts and let them inform or rewire the language of our rational minds. This proposal also has another word the others do not, accountably that carries a lot of moral and ethical weight. So in effect, this proposal asks us to promote and affirm that we are journeying while being accountable to that vision and realization of a beloved community. Accountable to each other, accountable for our actions, past, present, and future. Now, many people will say our existing seven principles imply this eighth principle, but they do not accountably and explicitly, explicitly hold us accountable for addressing oppression directly at the systemic level. And that is a big ask. I've heard people say, do we really need the eighth principle? Well, sadly, when you look at our history as a denomination, Perhaps we do. Now, historically, UUs have had a very mixed record with racial justice. We know that some Unitarians were slaveholders and others were proponents of eugenics. And we know that many of us have benefited directly or indirectly from a history of settler colonialism and its democratic governance and an extractive economic system that has decimated thousands million perhaps of indigenous peoples, systems that have also denigrated enslaved peoples who were uniquely legally treated as property that could be inherited for something, their skin color, over which they had no control. Now for people who identify as white, it is too easy to ignore these issues. And that is exactly what keeps the system of racism in our society alive and in fact worsening right now. This is one reason we need to dissenter whiteness and other dominant cultures in Unitarian Universalism. 
We like to think that those days of racial exploitation and the days and mindsets when certain people weren't meant, at least by whites, to survive are far, far behind us. In some ways, they are. Unitarian Universalists are known to have done some very good work in fighting racism, such as during the Civil Rights Movement. And yet, within our own ranks, the two worst crises our UUA has faced were both related to race. The first in the late 1960s is known as the Black Empowerment Controversy. This is when a very promising movement organized by the Black UU Caucus and the Black Affairs Council was supported by the UUA and then defunded because of an impending and very real financial crisis. This rejiggering of funding priorities led to a terrible conflict and a mass exodus of many African Americans from our faith movement. A long period of silence followed until the late 80s and early 90s, when we then began to make excellent progress for a decade or so. It was in 1997 that we passed a resolution to become an anti-racist, anti-oppression, multicultural, A-I-R-A-O-M-C, organization. Initially, we made good progress. We had programs like the Journey Toward Wholeness. Some of you may have participated in those some years ago. Jubilee anti-racism training workshops. Practices like process evaluation at meetings and the use of multicultural consulting services. Unfortunately, once again, the funding and support started to dry up and waned in the 2000s. Paula Cola Jones describes it as our accountability mechanism failing us. And so the eighth principle came from a feeling that we need something to renew our commitment to this work and to hold ourselves accountable and to fulfill the potential of our existing principles. An astute observer will see that the shift in UU funding and focus in the last decade towards shallow diversity rather than deep multicultural beloved community and the structural change needed helped to set the stage for the second crisis. That is the con recent controversy over inclusive hiring practices where whites who had the right fit were being hired over, hired over highly qualified Latin candidates. This is what led to the resignation of our then president, Reverend Peter Morales. I like to think that there's a silver lining to this sad story. And I think there is a little one. The hiring controversy did spark a commitment to serious institutional change and a resurgence in interest in the proposed eighth principle. The principle has been endorsed by Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism, a group known as Blue, and diverse revolutionary UU ministries, a group known as DRUM. Allies for Racial Equity, a group known as R, A-R-E, 
which is a white ally group of which I am a member, supports blue in this endorsement. And it is the voice of blue which is undeniably and loudly holding all of the UUA accountable to the 1997 commitment to become an anti-racist, anti-oppressive, multicultural institution. So what does it mean for all of us to be accountable? Let me say first of all that if you're a member of this congregation or any other congregation, which is a member of the UUA, that all of the UUA language includes you. And it means that UUs who are white hold themselves accountable to communities of color and make sure that the white folks do what they say they will do. So in practice, that can mean things like having special people of color caucus times and spaces and structures within the congregations and the denomination. These caucuses can discern and express needs and concerns to the rest of the community coming from a safe space. It means that you youth who are of color hold each other accountable and help each other see and dismantle signs of internalized racism. And it means we all work together to purge ourselves and our institutions of the culture and exclusive practices of whiteness and white supremacy. To do that, we have to ensure that there are effective mechanisms or structures in place. I hope that we are finally, at long last, approaching a critical mass level of awareness about the systemic nature of racism and other oppressions. I hope that we are beginning to understand this in the context of our past and present history in this country, and that we are gaining insights into the insidious nature of racism that operates in our institutions and is evident in our everyday personal experiences and observations. But we are not all there quite yet. Some of us are uncomfortable with this. In Paula Cole Jones's words, our inability to talk about white supremacy is eroding the fiber of democracy and democratic living in this country. To be unaware and to be silent while structures of racism and oppression are used to disenfranchise and harm people goes against Unitarian Universalist principles. These have been hard words for me to acknowledge and take to heart personally. Sometimes I like to stay in my head, say yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I want to share a brief story, an illustration. Many of you know of my involvement with the Unitarian Universalist Ministry for Earth I've been a board member for many years and recently stepped up to chair the board. UUMFE, as we call it, originally began as the seventh principal project before we changed our name and has a commitment to environmental justice. And because environmental justice has as its root environmental racism, we have tried to support the formation of a people of color caucus 
to inform our work because the majority of our board is white. Principles of environmental justice organizing include centering the voices, needs, and leadership of impacted marginalized communities. That can be communities of color, that can be our youth and children and young adults, that can be people of lower economic status. We held a strategy retreat in spring 2018 with our board, the Evolving People of Color Caucus, and our young adult group that we've had for several years, Unitarian Universalist Young Adults for Climate Justice. At this strategy retreat, we were working in a sociocratic or dynamic governance model, which we had been experimenting with. We had caucused into our separate groups, and we were coming back to the full circle to share our conversations and thoughts related to vision and mission and goals and changes to our organizational structure. And there it came, a very direct request from the People of Color Caucus. We will participate when you, if you, endorse the proposed eighth principle. And I have to admit, I had all the reactions. And I had all the critiques ready. Oh, that's not needed. We have the seven principles. This is a distraction. We can't up upend the agenda. We have so much to get through. You're slowing us down. Everything. Thoughts, emotions. Because we were using a sociocratic method, we had multiple rounds where each person could speak. Every person had the floor. Every voice was given equal weight. And we would go around, and sometimes there would be several rounds, people speaking their truth to the whole group. I tried really hard to keep my frustrations in check, and if you know me at all and have ever seen me frustrated in a meeting, you know that I don't hide it too well. And so I listened. And I had to keep coming back to listening and listening repeatedly to very passionate shares from several participants of color about their experiences in UU spaces and other community organizing settings. And I heard about the significance of the eighth principle to them and how it created a structure of accountability that built an atmosphere of trust and safety and how without that guarantee and without that accountability, they could not safely be at the table. I forget exactly what the words were that were spoken, but I can remember full well who was speaking when my heart finally just broke open. That empathetic moment that finally gets through and all the rationalities and concerns I had expressed just became moot points. It was a transformative moment for me, one that's kind of hard to capture well in words, especially when your memory starts to decline. And I was a bit stunned, to be honest. But it was the kind of revelation I feel needs to be experienced. And dare I say, not to offend anyone, but needs to be experienced one snowflake at a time until we collectively collapse the branches of racism that continue to cast long shadows on our pathways.
since that time, each of our uh, UUMFE monthly board meetings includes a recitation of the eighth principle, which followed the reading of our covenant. I am reminded of this continually. So it's important to remember that adopting the eighth principle is a beginning, it's not the end goal. It's meant to catalyze action. Actions like securing funding and support for anti-racism trainings for all you use who want them. Or perhaps starting up something like a congregationally-based anti-racist program, similar to the welcoming congregation program that was so effective for our gay and queer siblings. Or like the Green Sanctuary program that's helped congregations integrate environmental awareness and activism into worship and religious education and social justice. Creators and supporters of the Eighth Principle are very keenly aware that Unitarian Universalism in all of our plurality and acceptance has great potential for building the diverse, multicultural, beloved community that Martin Luther King Jr. envisioned. In order to realize that, I propose that we commit ourselves to keep on working to dismantle racism and white supremacy and other oppressions at the personal and institutional levels. And that we do this inside and outside our faith, inside and outside the walls of this congregation. Whether we were to adopt the Eighth Principle or are simply informed by it, my hope is that we journey together towards wholeness, ourselves, being certain to make our actions accountably reflect our values. So let our witness to the world be one of living deeply multicultural and principled lives. May it be so. Please rise and body your spirit to share in the hymn number 121, We'll Build a Land. And the text is actually from the biblical scriptures.
Please lend a hand to transform our space for Social Hour. <laughs>